Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy podcast, I have a special guest, Dr. Courtney Tracy. She is an internationally known licensed clinical social worker and doctor of clinical psychology. With over 1.4 million followers on social media, three mental health businesses, a top charting podcast, and an upcoming online talk show, she strives to share her message with the masses. That message is simply this, our unconsciousness is showing and it's time we provided the education we need to do something about it. I absolutely love that message. Thank you so much, Dr. Tracy, for being on the show today. It is a pleasure to have you join us. Thank you so much for having me on and thank you for that introduction. I'm so excited to talk to your audience. Oh, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about you, Tracy. Did you go from social work into clinical psychology? Is that how the transgression happened? Yeah, so I started in psychology. So I took an AP psychology class when I was 16 years old and I fell in love with the field. So I got my bachelor's in psychology. And then when I was looking into graduate work, um, well, if I'm being completely honest, I really did not want to take the GRE. Um, I just didn't want to take it. And so the first thing that I actually did was search for graduate programs in the mental health field where you did not have to take the GRE. And so that was sort of um, a poorly intentioned, a poorly intentioned search. However, it led me to social work, which most of the programs of social work don't require the GRE. Um, but once I started learning about social work, the purpose of it, working with society, learning about macro structures all the way down to the individual being, I realized that that was actually the field that I wanted to go into um, because I care about humanity and all the systems that we live in today intertwine with our mental health. So Mm -hmm. I got a master's in social work from USC and then I didn't want to get my doctorate in social work because I wanted to dive back into clinical work. And so that's why I got my doctorate in clinical psychology, but I'm licensed as a social worker because um, I was opening up my own businesses. And as a social worker, it was easier to gain hours on the side while running my business than to get a license as a psychologist. Mm, I qualify as a psychologist, but essentially I would have to stop working on my businesses to get that second license. And right now that's just not something I'm willing to do. (laughs) Go girlfriend. I love it. Well, at least, you know, your boundaries and you're honoring those. Yeah. So I, I really like the approach that you take when it comes to our mental health. Can you talk a little bit about what that approach is? Yeah. Thank you for asking. I'm still sort of working on getting my, um, what would you call PR branding of, you know, the quick sentences, the elevator speech to describe my philosophy. Um, But in really layman's terms, I, I take the approach that we are interconnected and connective beings where we need so many things to thrive in this life. But those things that we need are usually the things that we put at the bottom of our list 
we prioritize last above what society has conditioned us to believe is important. So what I try to do is de-layer each individual that's sitting in front of me to help them figure out who they are at their core as an actual human being. So it's mm. a really humanistic perspective that I take. Um, and, and positive psychology is really mixed in there as well. It's what is working for you. Even if it's an unhealthy coping mechanism, as an example, it's mm -hmm. working for you in some way. And so it's just taking the approach of healing is possible. We are multidimensional. And if we really want to kind of get our shit together, then we really have to figure out who we have become based off of other people and then who we want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that you point out um, that certain coping skills, healthy or not, are serving a purpose for us. I think that's an important concept for the listeners to understand. Many of us are indebted to shame and guilt for choices and coping skills that we have adapted in our lifetime. And I know for myself and the population that I serve, um, being able to forgive self and let go of that judgment that we have is truly one of the first steps in being able to move forward and have growth. So what are your thoughts about that? I think that that's true. As a practitioner and as a human being, I've really come to realize that shame and guilt come from, well, a lot of the time, even if it's internally created shame and guilt, it came from somewhere outside of us first. Mm -hmm. And then there's the shame and guilt that, that we know and can tell comes from outside of us. And, and we do not need to feel shame or guilt. The only reasons that we do feel shame or guilt are because of, again, external forces. So if we're just working with our own internal processes, then we can come to realize that these coping skills drinking or over drinking, using drugs, eating unhealthy, not eating, all, all those types of things. Human beings, we want to survive. Mm -hmm. Even if we don't feel like we want to survive, like even when I'm working with people who are feeling as though they want to end their life, they don't actually want to do that. They just mm -hmm. want to wake up and live a different life. And so it's really a last resort you know, to take your life as a last resort. But then there's all these other aspects of things that we do to ourselves that would be considered unhealthy coping mechanisms or dangerous coping mechanisms. Um, but those are all means of survival. We mm -hmm. are attempting to survive. We are attempting to regulate ourselves. And the shame and guilt of doing those things, they come from people who, maybe these people are bitter because they had a loved one that was engaging in the same behaviors and that affected them. Or they're fearful because they once used to engage in those behaviors and they know how much they affected them. Or they're ignorant and not in a, not in a demeaning way, like actually lacking the education to help them understand that even unhealthy coping mechanisms are strengths mm -hmm. for human beings. So it's complicated. And I think we're all mm -hmm. running around with a lack of awareness of what the hell it is that we're actually even talking about and judging when it comes to other people. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's an amazing statement. Um, so when it comes to these unhealthy behaviors that we have adapted as our coping skills 
And we have that moment of awakening where we realize these things are no longer serving us in the way that we desire to achieve the kind of growth that we want. What is it that holds people back from, you know, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you think that one of the things that holds people back from being able to let go of these more sabotaging, unhealthy or behaviors is the loss of identity that if they give up these things that essentially they have identified at the core of their being, then who is this potential person? Can we kind of talk about that concept and and the struggle there? Yes. Well, you're right. I think people are afraid to let go of what's comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I saw this quote somewhere just recently, but I don't remember who it was from, but it said something about the more comfortable, the more things that we become comfortable with in the world, the more opportunity we then have to be uncomfortable. And I feel like that's really true. It, we, our brains literally memorize things that make us feel less pain, more pleasure, more in control and less afraid. Um, and all of those things are achieved through coping skills, healthy or unhealthy. Now, if, if someone is a binge drinker, for example, Maybe we can take a look at all the labels that they would have had um, on themselves, like really outgoing, super social, life of the party, extroverted, um, all of these things, super friendly. Uh, and, And when they come to realize that a lot of those behaviors or a lot of those aspects of what they would call their personality, when they realize that those were actually just fueled by the intoxication that they were experiencing, then they can experience that sense of who who am I, who the hell am I now? And that's, you know, we build for, for, uh, I mean, I'm 30, I would say like, I'm still figuring out who I am, but that's because I had a lot of unhealthy coping skills. We develop who we are for at, at least three decades for just general okay, this is who I think I am, you know? And then you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to settle into this in my thirties and see how it goes and make some changes if I need to. But by the time that we're 30, we sort of have this identity that, that allows us to define our place in the world. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to define our place in the world. Are the core aspects of our brain want us to have an identity. And so when we are relieving ourselves of all of these unhealthy coping skills, in essence, it feels like we are relieving ourselves from ourselves and then what, and then what? Mm -hmm. And there's no guide for what happens and then what, because when you don't know who you are, you're like two years old. Right. No, it's like, and so you're like, but I am, I'm 35, I'm 55, I'm 26 and I feel two years old and my parents aren't around. I don't know what to do. I have, and then you're trying to reteach yourself when you have all these responsibilities and you're like, what Mm -hmm. the hell, how am I supposed to do this? So the fear is normal. The shedding is normal to feel afraid. And it's in those moments of fear where you kind of want to pull those negative coping skills back into your life. Mm -hmm. That's where the work comes in. So if you're feeling afraid, I'm not saying it's necessary to feel afraid, but if you're feeling uncomfortable, then you might be doing it right. Mm-hmm. I love that. So right now we have a lot of people who um, 
in my opinion, are kind of going through the awakening process. We have like a collective awakening that's happening right now from an energetic perspective. And there's a lot of people who are super depressed completely lost, unsure of who they are, feeling very isolated. And I know for myself that I had this idea that when I had my awakening, it was going to be this blissful experience of elevation and and all was going to be amazing in the world. And it was just the opposite. And I was like, fuck this. I don't want to wake up. Take me back. Take me back. This is really, really hard. So can, can we kind of talk about what's happening? What What is all of this that a lot of people are potentially experiencing right now or will be experiencing or have experienced? What is this all about? I love that you're talking about the phenomenon. It's basically the phenomenon of, of the year 2020. Mm-hmm. And, you know, research has shown that it really has impacted people so significantly. And while we can't, research what the outcomes are going to be years come because there are a lot of hypotheses that suggest that this is going to affect us ongoing for a really long time because Mm -hmm. because it shook us at our core and what do i mean by it shook us at our core our bodies and our minds attach to structure to schedule and to routine And we begin to have the systems within ourselves, including our thoughts and our emotions, function on an automatic basis because we absorb a lot of shit all day that we don't even realize. We are seeing things that our brain never computes us capable of seeing. We are hearing Mm -hmm. things, we are touching things, and there's a lot going on. Um, But our brain tends to sort of dissociate in a healthy way um, by just allowing these things to happen automatically. So when we wake up in the morning in the middle of a pandemic with multiple people passing away from this disease and racial inequality surfacing more than it ever has in the country and political divisiveness where we actually don't feel safe in our country because the world is looking at us as though we have no fucking clue what we're doing. Right. Don't. No one really does, but there's like a level of safety that you can have by like knowing that the person that's in control of your life like has their shit together. But when we wake up and we have this new sense of fear and we don't have the ability to turn to these automatic processes in these automatic structures, we go into traumatic response mode. And that doesn't mean that this was necessarily traumatizing for everyone, but our nervous system reacts as though there's something different going on. There's something potentially dangerous, something uncomfortable, something out of the ordinary. And maybe if that happens every once in a while, we can re-regulate ourselves because Mm -hmm. it's a one-off. But when we have had over 365 days of this groundhog day, anxiety ridden, fear provoking, anxiety like mass on a massive scale, then it's as though we are in a traumatized situation with no way of escaping and feeling as though we are out of control because in a way we are out of control. Mm -hmm. This problem that each of us have been facing is not a problem that we can individually control. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's where the collective awakening or confusion comes into play because we have realized a lot of us already knew 
But many of us have now come to understand that we are far more collected and connected than we really want to admit. Mm -hmm. America is a very individualistic society that underneath that is just as collectivistic as any other country on the planet because we cannot survive alone. Mm -hmm. So I think that in, you know, in summary, it's just uncomfortable, unexpected, unprecedented, fear-provoking situations happening time and time again. And there's no guidebook for how to mm -hmm. handle or how to handle it. Mm -hmm. So how can we use this time as an opportunity to really expand ourselves and grow and be able to adapt in a healthier way that allows us to start embracing more uh, coping skills that are going to serve us in a positive way? That's the question, isn't it? That's the question. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> of what do we do with this? Mm -hmm. um, we, have we have a lot of layers that allow us to form an identity. And that's just part of the psychology of our mind <clears throat> that keeps us safe. It keeps us functioning in the society that we're in today. Now, the society that we're in today is not the same society that we were in January of last year, mm -hmm. January of 2020. Um, and I think one of the coping skills that's, that's taught in dialectical behavioral therapy, which I say that just because some people may have heard of it in that intervention. However, it's called radical acceptance and radical acceptance is something that has been philosophically taught for centuries, thousands of years. Um, and I think that that's something that we all have to come to terms with is one, everything that we've experienced and also that we are not who we thought we were. Mm -hmm. No one is. We're not the country that we want to be. We're, we're not the individual that we want to be. And, and honestly, I feel like that's just true across the board, unless you're an extremely enlightened being that has all layers that anyone has ever taught you. There are aspects of your personality. There are aspects of your behaviors, aspects of your thoughts, aspects of your feelings that you probably would not have signed up for. And mm -hmm. they probably happened to you in your childhood or through the society that you were exposed to when you were form formulating your identity. So the first coping skill, it's like just necessary is radical acceptance. We, who are we? Mm -hmm. What have we learned over this last year? And what do we not like? And to not turn away from what it is that we don't like about ourselves, our family, our city, our society, or our world. It's mm -hmm. when we turn away that the problem gets worse. And even if it doesn't get worse in magnitude, it gets worse in the length that it's existed. You know, things just, they seep in and they get deeper versus getting bigger. So radical acceptance of the things that have happened and not turning away and then realizing what is it that we have to, like, what are the steps moving forward? And that's individual for each specific person. Um, besides radical acceptance, because that's the first thing you have to be able to accept what the hell it is that you're going to need to work on. And then it's individual of what is it that you need to work on. And there's lots of different ways to go about processing and handling everything that you've learned about yourself and experienced over the last year. Um, and one of those main ways is through reparenting, which I'm sure that we'll get into. Yes, actually, I was just going to ask you, is this is this where we have an opportunity to reparent ourselves and really be able to 
go deeper with them, pull back some of those layers and have an opportunity to show up in a different way? We do. We have many parents besides our parents. And that's really one of the key points of reparenting is it's not, some people will say, some people really do not like that I think everyone needs to reparent themselves. And oftentimes it's parents that do not like that I think that everyone needs to reparent themselves. Right. Um, and it's still true. So, because yeah. uh, we have more, it doesn't mean that you have a bad relationship with your parents. It doesn't mean that your parents did anything wrong. It means that we have had lots of parents. We've had society as a parent, governments as our parents, teachers, coaches, aunts and uncles, siblings, all of these people that have played a parental figure in our lives. And by that, I just mean someone who took care of our body, of our mind, of our home, of our community in some way that provided us something on the hierarchy of our needs, whether mm -hmm. it was safety and security, food and water, love and belonging, recognition or engaging in creativity and other healthy coping skills. It's like, it's taking a look at what were you taught by all mm -hmm. of those people? And that really did come up for us in the last year is what am I taught by like, like things that came up, it's like, what's, what do I believe to be the importance of money? What do I believe mm -hmm. to be the importance of success? Where does my own self-worth come from when it comes to my relationships with my family and my relationships with my employer and, and all of these things. And, and what does security mean to me? when we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's 4 million people without jobs or whatever the number was. And so reparenting, it's absolutely an opportunity to do that at this time because our ideals and our belief systems were shaken against our will. And that sounds a lot to me like trauma, um, okay. but I'm not gonna say everyone was traumatized, but we were shaken up. And when someone experiences something that sh rattles your nervous system, we have a choice um, unless we're in a traumatic response, which many of us I'm sure are after everything that happened. Um, if we're not frozen, if we're not in fight mode, if we're not fawning and just agreeing to everything that's going on and if, and if, and if we're not just running away from everything mm -hmm. that's happening, then we have a choice to say, what do I wanna do with all this? And, and then the question comes, or if you say, okay, what I want to do with this is I want to address everything that I've learned consciously, unconsciously, intentionally, unintentionally, overtly, or covertly that's sitting in front of me right now. Now, how do you do that? You know, I, that's, that's the process of reparenting and it's taking a look from the very basic needs, the need in your life food, water, shelter, sex, sleep, uh, medication. What are your beliefs about that after everything that happened? How are you taking care of yourself? Why are you taking care of yourself like that? Who are you emulating? Who are you avoiding? What, what systems are you adhering to, you know, and, and why? And that's like, that could take a whole year. And that's just one out of the five areas of reparenting. So it's, uh, it's a lifelong process for every day that you spent being parented by someone else, even mm -hmm. after you were an adult, it's likely that there's going to be 
twice as many days that you would mm -hmm. need from it. I, I like that you point that out. I, and I think that's an important concept for us to really like digest because we've been taught to be such an instant, you know, gratification type of society where if we want something, we get it now. And when it comes to retraining our brain and being able to reparent ourselves, it's a lengthy process. So, and that's something that I kind of want to dig a little deeper into because, you know, I know for myself, when I had that moment where I recognized everything that I had believed about myself, my perceptions of who I could be, these ideals, when I recognized that none of them were mine to fucking begin with, I was like, these things were literally implanted in me. I adopted mm -hmm. those as my reality. And then I spent a many, many decades defending these beliefs, perceptions, ideals that were never mine to begin with. And then I have this realization and then I'm like, okay, now what? Like my brain was like, don't let it go. Don't let it go. And so for me, I know specifically that it's required a lot of energy and effort and practice and consistent practice in order to start shaping those thoughts, to let go of the old thoughts that, you know, weren't mine to begin with and start creating new thoughts using my own discernment and my intuition to help guide me. Is this my truth? Does this resonate for me? But I feel meant so many of us are so disconnected from our bodies, our physical bodies, and we don't have that realization that a lot of what we believe and who we think we can be aren't even ours. So there's this, just this internal battle that kind of happens, right? And I feel like for a lot of people, that's when we really slip into those, those adopted coping mechanisms that aren't necessarily serving us in a positive way. So what are your thoughts? Like, how do we get through this? Well, everything that you just said sounds so familiar to my story and probably so many other people's as well. Specifically, when you mentioned intuition and you sort of made this motion yeah. towards the just core of your body, mm -hmm. it's so important because that's actually where our intuition lies. And I think people think it's like people that just don't believe that intuition exists is, is probably afraid of their own, has probably mm -hmm. pushed their own away for so long, just like you mentioned, that the thought of it even would be core shattering. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, what do we, what do we, well, one, what do we do with those types of individuals that are very, very stuck in their conditioning? Um, I think, and, and so if someone's listening, that's like, uh, and, and hopefully they believe in intuition and in healing themselves if they're listening to this podcast, but maybe there's just this aspect of them that's like, maybe they believe in it, but they don't believe in it for themselves. You know, okay. they're so stuck. Mm -hmm. They feel like they just aren't, they're not one of those people that's going to be able to break through. I think we have to figure out what are we afraid of? What, so what are you afraid of? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? The, what's the worst thing that could happen? If you lose anything on the journey of figuring out who you really are, then you have to question whether or not you really had that thing to begin with. Because if your conditioning 
is what allowed you to be in that relationship or succeed at that job um, or accomplish those tasks or be seen in that way, um, but that wasn't really you, then, then why are you so afraid of letting it go? And perhaps we're afraid of letting it go and making change because we don't know what's next and what's on the other side. But what we don't realize is that we make the decision to move forward in our lives when we have no idea what's going to happen next multiple times a day. Every time we put food in our body that we did not grow ourselves, every time we get in the car and we don't know exactly how everyone in every other car is going to act, every time we drop our kids off at school, every time we take a job or leave a job, every time we pay for something, we have no idea really what the business is going to do with that money and what are we actually contributing to in society. We, con we, we constantly make decisions where we don't know the outcome. But it's the fact that we don't realize that we do that, that makes us afraid to consciously make that decision when we are already unconsciously making that decision every day. And so the first thing is, what are you afraid of? Usually it's, I'm afraid that I don't know what's gonna happen. And then coming to the understanding that no one knows what the hell's going to happen. You're always making choices where you don't know what's gonna happen. And therefore you're actually just falling into a strength that you didn't know you had versus some, where you're going to find some type of weakness that you never knew you had. So it's really about perspective shifts when it comes to making changes. Mm -hmm. um, but I think more so it's like, what's the pathway to doing this, right? So like, how do we actually handle it? So one, radical acceptance. What the hell did I just go through? Okay, now I know what I went through. And now what am I afraid of? What's gonna block me from actually making these choices and, and, and going in the direction that I wanna go and then addressing those fears, looking at your life from a different perspective. And then it's coming up with a formula of how you're like, how are you supposed to change your whole life? Like, oh, no big deal. How, like, I'm just gonna go change my whole life. And of course that's scary because you're like, I didn't teach myself to talk. I didn't teach myself my basic belief systems. I didn't teach myself how to eat or like, you know, it's like, am I going to have to relearn all of those things? And you kind of do have to relearn a lot of those things. So it's really scary. So that's why it's called reparenting because mm -hmm. you are becoming your own parent. You are saying, this is what I want to teach myself. This is what I want to believe in. This is how I want to act. And the structure that I've created for reparenting follows. Anybody can look this up. Um, of course, so I'm coming out with a course in this year, specifically on reparenting for everyone that you will be, I'll be able to take you through the whole process. But if you're listening to this, to this episode and that hasn't come out yet, or I cuss too much and you want to do it on your own or something like that, which is totally fine. I'm not for everyone. Then you can Google Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you'll find this triangle and this is what drew me to psychology when I was 16 years old. So 15 years ago, I saw this triangle in a textbook when I was in high school. And I was like, you know, it listed out the five areas. And I was like, I'm fucked up in all of them. I was like, I am really not doing okay. And I didn't realize that 15 years later, that would become the basis of how I would heal myself and how I would heal everyone else. So mm -hmm. you look it up, you Google Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and you start from the bottom one which is food, water, sleep, sex, shelter, medication. And you pick apart each of those areas and you spend as much time as you need to. So like, on, I always start with the one on water because people are like, 
people have heard often, like you need to drink eight ounces or I don't even know. I don't even know this. Like, this is what I'm talking about. You need to drink a lot of water. Okay. I need to drink more water than I do. We all probably need to drink more water than we do, but you break it down and you, and you think like three questions would be how much did I see my parents or my caretakers drinking water when I was growing up? How often did I drink water growing up? Do I know what water does to my body? Do I know what water does to my mind? What's my system right now for getting water into my body? What do I not like about water? How can I avoid those problems? How can I get water into my daily routine? All of those things. And then it takes like, you know, you could spend three months trying to figure out new ways to get yourself to drink more water. And that's probably one fiftieth of reparenting. And so it really is a lifelong process that you, you figure out your own system. If you don't want to use the hierarchy, that's fine. But you write down all the areas of your life that you can imagine, which is why the triangle is helpful because it does it for you. Um, and you, and, and then you take your power back, which sounds really woo woo. And I'm going to take my power back and my intuitions in my core. And it's like, but all of those things are true though. All of those things are true. And they, they're woo woo because it's easier for people to understand. We're not going to be like mm -hmm. water, you digest it and it goes into your stomach and then it gets absorbed in the tissues. It's like, no, you put the water in your body and then you feel better. You know, we break it down and make it simple. So there's lots of ways to do it, but in order to do it, you have to be willing to face your fears and accept everything that's been going mm -hmm. on. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for those tips. Those are so helpful. And, you know, it's funny, as a registered dietitian, I push water all the time. And people, you know, what I find is that majority of the population is chronically dehydrated. They're literally just living off of caffeine in many different forms and have no idea the impact that the caffeine is actually having on their central nervous system, which is impacting their mental health and contributing towards more anxiety and whatnot. But I wanna, I, I wanna kind of go here with you. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I'm obsessed with is our physiology and how our physiology is connected to our thoughts. And so one of the things that I like to educate about is trauma and how trauma physiologically impacts our physical bodies at the core cellular function in the mitochondria. And so people, you know, when I, when we talk about trauma, that word is, there's like a stigma around it. In my opinion, people think in order to have experienced trauma, it must be something, you know, extreme, like, you know, rape or, uh, abuse or a kidnapping or, or whatever it might be. But the reality is trauma is so much more simplistic. Can you give me a basic um, example of something that the physical body or the brain would perceive as trauma that we would not even take into consideration? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, a basic definition, you know, the DSM, the DSM, was part of the problem when it comes to defining trauma. So they defined it as a catastrophic event, a life altering mm -hmm. event, <clears throat> catastrophic as the term, okay. catastrophic, you know? So that's why people were perceived as the, these big major events and things that could happen. Um, trauma is anything that affects your nervous system that, that, that results in a per pervasive and prolonged response in terms of your nervous system, pervasive and prolonged. So 
there's really like so many different things that could cause our body to have a physiological response as though something is trauma, even though it's not some major car accident. Mm -hmm. An example that I like to give is, so there's different trauma responses, of course. If we get into a car accident, that's a big, that could be a catastrophic event. One of the traumatic responses may be to freeze. Now, why do we freeze? We freeze because we use less energy, we become less noticeable, and we're able to redistribute the energy and the focus to other areas like breathing and heart rate, because we literally feel like we're gonna die. So our body's response is to go straight to the very survival aspects of our brain and just put all of the energy there. And that's what our organs end up doing as a response. So that makes sense in a car accident if your response is to freeze. Now, there are also situations where people may have had parents in their childhood um, that were never physically abusive, never sexually abusive, never physically neglectful. So, you know, they always, they had roof over their head, food, water, um, enough money to take care of themselves. Um, and, and overall, they were generally happy. However, there were times when their parents would scream at them at the top of their lungs, for example. And the child may have grown up being hurt, being told by the parents that this is just parenting. I'm just the parent. This is the way that I'm going to talk to you. Um, and the kid will freeze in the exact same way as if they were in a car accident. And, and even if the yelling lasts for 20 seconds, the child's nervous system has frozen. And then a month later, the child's nervous system freezes again and freezes again. And our body learns automatically that what we need to do in situations where someone of authority is upset with us is to freeze. Mm -hmm. And so then we go throughout the course of our lives and we do whatever our boss tells us and whatever the police tell us, which be careful, I tried our family tried to not listen and it did not end up well. Um, and we, we just, we shut down in any situation where we feel like someone could take something from us because they are of some type of authority. That person, that child that's now an adult that folds and freezes whenever anything happens is a traumatized individual. But if you ask them, have you ever experienced trauma? They'll say, no, no, I've never been in a car accident. I've never been in a natural disaster. I've never been hit before. I've never, it's, it's not about what happened to you. It's about the response. Mm -hmm. So do you, in your professional opinion, is it possible for our physical body to become addicted to that central nervous system response constantly being stimulated? Yes. I lived it. <laughs> That's the reason I asked, girlfriend. I lived it. I didn't realize, um, to be honest with you, I, for me personally, I grew up in a very dysfunctional, tra traumatic type of environment, but I didn't know any better. I thought that was the norm. Like I thought that it, you know, I, I've been having lots of conversations with my brothers. I'm the oldest. I have five younger brothers and we are constantly talking about how, we're literally having to reparent ourselves daily. Like we're literally having to reparent over and over and over. And none of us realized that 
you know, we used to kind of make this joke like, oh, God, drama just follows us. Like, what's up with that? You know, but the reality is that subconsciously we were recreating the constant drama in order to get our fix. And I feel personally that for me specifically, my nervous system was trained in the womb to be addicted to that central nervous response. And so at 44 years old now, it's something that I'm literally having to learn how to retrain my central nervous system to be in a new default state. And when I kind of talk about this, people look at me and they're like, what? And so I, you know, I'm curious to hear your professional opinion about this mechanism and what's happening in the physical body. Yeah, we can feel in control and situations when we're not in control uh -huh. simply because we're used to it simply because our body and our mind go, this is familiar. I know what to do in this situation. Even mm -hmm. if what you do in that situation makes you completely out of control in whatever way. I don't know. It's like, I know why it happens, but every time I just want to say, I don't know why the fuck we do that. Right. Because it's a survival mechanism. We want pattern and we want structure, mm -hmm. like I mentioned earlier. And so I think, you know, this whole process of reparenting, um, it, it, you redefine so many things in your life. You redefine comfortable, you redefine mm. safe, you redefine what structure means and what pattern means. And, and do you really want pattern? Because the pattern may be the problem. And mm -hmm. so it's finding ways to get used to, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because right now you're actually uncomfortable being comfortable because you're so used to being uncomfortable. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's tricky, but you know, I think what goes on when, when people become addicted to unhealthy coping skills, to drama, to being out of control, um, I think that what, what we don't realize is that, and I think that shame and guilt is attached to that too, because we may I think that that's also part of the reason why this process is so hard because we feel as though it's something that we did to ourselves. Mm -hmm. I should have known better. How did I not see this pattern? Um, this person in my family figured it out way before I did. Um, this person got better and I'm still struggling. And it's this identification and this comparison to others and this self-blame and self-guilt and and I think that it's important to realize that these patterns and these addictions and these behaviors, even if you're making the choice every day to engage in them, you're not. Mm -hmm. You're not. Because if you learned differently, you would make a different choice. And you did not teach yourself the things that are making you make those choices. So the mm -hmm. addiction was created by someone else and by something else. And it's figuring out exactly what that is. And that's, you know, I'm trying, I'm starting to develop what my, you know, my own intervention, my own philosophy, I guess mm -hmm. is one way to put it, my own theory. Um, and I'm tentatively calling it mindful and compassionate introspective tracing. Mm. So you go inward compassionately and mindfully and you trace 
every thought, every emotion, and every behavior to its origin. And you don't stop to figure out how far back. Because like an example would be if you are someone that engages in a certain dietary restriction because you are a woman and want to look like this woman or that woman, then whatever thoughts and feelings are coming up for you, maybe they were rooted in this thing your mom said to you when you were younger, but then why did your mom say that to you? Was it something that she heard from her mother and then maybe her mother saw it from society at the time and society got it from the perception of females over in the early renaissance years and it's like and then why what was their formulation of the female body and it's like you go back as far as you can and and i bring that up because i think that reparenting is not only figuring out what it is that we were taught and what we're emulating and what we want to do differently but it's also the process of forgiving yourself for mm -hmm. those addictions and for those behaviors because they weren't your choice. But then you also don't put the blame on your parents or whoever it is that contributed to that because it wasn't their choice either. And it's realizing that we all have the ability to make our own choices eventually, but we also cannot blame anyone. When we are abused, when we are put in unsafe situations, it's important to acknowledge the systematic problem and to truly blame the message and not the messenger, but to take accountability as your own messenger. And if we all took accountability as our own messenger, then we would not be where we're at today. And so you don't blame anyone, you trace as far back as you can, and then you take a big fucking inhale. And when you exhale, you go, fuck. And then you get yes. started. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. You, you literally have given me goosebumps head to toe as you were talking about this process. Because in my, in my mind, I, I can feel the healing collectively. If we could all embrace that kind of approach and open-mindedness, the, the outcome could be so magnificent that we literally could be living that kind of idea of heaven on earth, right? Mm -hmm. Where we, we truly are in alignment and are working for the greater good of all so that we can all reach our highest potential, that highest level of consciousness. And right now, I feel like so many are trapped in that victim mentality. They're attached to being the victim. They try to control the outcomes. When they can't control the outcome, then they go back to their victim and self-sabotaging. And they're just stuck in this negative healing loop. And it's so exhausting. I know I was there for so freaking long. And, you know, for me to have the courage and say, fuck everything I think I know about who I am and what my path is and all of that. I'm going to wipe that slate clean and I'm going to do my best to really start going within and allow myself to access the truth, the mm. real truth of who I am and who I'm supposed to be. And I know that when I gave myself the permission to do that, it was so frightening but it's been literally one of the most rewarding, just orgasmic experiences I could have ever had in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, this is something I'm so passionate about because I've been on the other side. I know what that looks like. I know how painful that is. But to be able to let go of all of that, reparent and, and start moving towards this other place, ah, 
I don't need materialistic shit. Like I've got everything I need right here. And it's funny because the more conscious and, and aligned I become, the less I want, the less I need, the more pleasure and joy I find in just the simplistic things in life. Like just even being able to have this conversation for you with you brings so much joy and peace to my heart. I am so grateful. You are just a wealth of knowledge, my friend. You have a very articulate way of delivering the information in a consumer-friendly manner that people can truly digest. And that's, you know, that was why I reached out to you because I just love your messaging. I think everyone would benefit from your reparenting course. Um, I know for myself, I'm sure there's even things that I can learn and get excited about. So um, how can the listeners find you? Where can they learn more about you? Well, thank you so much for everything that you said. It really has been a pleasure to have you on. And I, I can tell that you have seen the truth about yourself and about the world. And that's really... For anyone that does want to find me and learn more about my work, you can find me at the handles, the period truth, period doctor on both Instagram and TikTok. And then my website, thetruthdoctor.com has free courses, um, four free courses for you to learn. If you did have childhood trauma, if you don't think you did, what anxiety is, how to forgive yourself and someone else and how your mind works. And so those are all available for free at thetruthdoctor.com. Um, my podcast is launching in the beginning of February for season two. It used to be called Your Unconscious is Showing. Now it's going to be called The Truth Doctor Podcast, but Your Unconscious is Showing is not going anywhere. I'm just using it for something new that I'll be talking about later. And then my show, which is which will be really upbeat. So it's going to still have all of the information that I typically provide, but it's going to be um, a way to access humor and creativity. And that's going to start on YouTube in the beginning of February. And it's called the truth doctor show. So definitely yeah, check it out. Um, you can just Google the truth doctor and all of my stuff pops up on page one of Google. Thank you, Google, um, for that, not for other things. And, um, and thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to share my message. It's the message of truth about how I healed and how I believe people can heal after 11 years of education and 30 years of being in a traumatic existence. Um, and I hope that it helps people everywhere. Oh, absolutely. I, I can hear the people having so many epiphanies and aha moments over this podcast episode that we've just had. Thank you so much. You are truly a beautiful soul from the inside out. Anyone who um, is listening to this, I encourage you to go watch the YouTube or check her out. She's absolutely stunning. You, your, your beauty radiates from within. And thank you so much for shining your light and bringing awareness around this concept so that we can truly come together and help ourselves heal and help heal as a collective so we can reach that that greater place. Definitely. So thank you so much. Thank You're you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.